You are listening to Grab Them by the Pod, a member of the Ace Podcast Network. Back again here at Grab Them by the Pod. I'm Kevin with Jesse, and we've got a lot to talk to you about tonight. The world of Washington, the world of Trump, it never ceases to amaze, does it, Jess? It does not. And we have to start off with a very special story about a very special someone you all know and love, our boy Spicy. Now, I don't think anyone loves him more than you. So I'm a Red Sox fan. You're a Red Sox fan. And so is Sean Spicer. And uh, just over the weekend, he was spotted at a Red Sox game, not just spotted, he was on the Green Monster, uh, and he took pictures with some lucky people who happened to be walking by. Well, that makes two of us who were at Fenway last week. Uh, my Myself, my father, and my son went to a Red Sox game, and it got rained out. We yeah. sat in Fenway Park for four hours watching the rain fall, but at least Spicy got to see a game. Yeah, and you know, if the people who met him said that he seemed like he was in a good mood, like he was having a nice day out in Boston with his family. I think maybe you take Spicy out of the White House, out of the Trump world, you know, maybe he's getting a chance to breathe. He's getting to be a human being again, back down to reality. Well, it's certainly something where I could get along with the man. You know, Spicer was raised in Rhode Island, and he uh, does not shy away from his love for the Red Sox, the Patriots, all of the, the Boston or New England area sports teams. So, you know, on that, he and I can agree. Maybe it's a new act in the life of Spicy. I'll, I'll give him another shot, just one more shot. Well, the real story we have to start with is uh, Robert Mueller and his grand jury uh, last week. And by the way, he's a special prosecutor. It has to do with all the Russian stuff going on with Trump and his administration. So last week, he impaneled a grand jury in Washington, D.C., and it's a sign that things are moving forward. The investigation is moving into a new phase. Um, as of now, he has a dedicated pool of 23 grand jurors who basically just – like you and me, Gavin, they're just ordinary citizens, and they're charged with looking at special documents, listening to testimony, and ultimately it's going to be up to them to decide whether there are criminal, criminal charges, um, whether things move forward. Um, and this is actually very important and very significant because he already had one I – mean, this is all reported, um, but we're going along with it, the fact that it's, that it's going on. Um, he already had a grand jury in just across the river in Alexandria, Virginia, for Michael Flynn. So if he thought everything was with Flynn, you know, if he was the be-all and end-all of this all, um, he would just have that one in Alexandria. The fact that he opened one up in, in the District of Columbia, it shows that uh, maybe Trump should be a little worried. Well, the role of a grand jury in- – for those that are not aware of how the legal process works in this country, the role of the grand jury is to determine, as you said, Jesse, whether or not it is worth going forward with a criminal case, whether or not it is worth taking it to trial to determine whether or not there is enough evidence that some sort of criminal activity has taken place. Now, the fact that this is even going forward would seem to speak that the Mueller investigation has turned up enough information that there may be some things warranting going forward and going to trial. Uh, and while this may be typical of investigation in normal criminal activity, would it get this far with a president, a sitting president of the United States, if there wasn't reasonable cause that something illegal has taken place? And you know, it gets us all excited. And yet, as you mentioned, um, this is a normal part of the, the process. Experts are saying, don't get too excited. You know, someone like Mueller, uh, these grand jurors are gonna come up, but you know, I'm excited. Uh, the White House apparently, though, isn't worried or excited. Uh, they just seem to content to keep calling this a witch hunt. But like you said, 
grand juries don't come together for witch hunts. I, I think they have to start do, looking at another direction than calling it a witch hunt and, and calling it fake because at this point, it seems very real to me. Right. You know, we'll have to wait and see what this does bring up. But for those of us who are hoping that something goes down here, this is uh, a welcome sign. And it's really weird that I'm hoping uh, something happens with the presidency and the president. You know, it sounds kind of an American, but the way things are going, I think it's what's best for America if Trump were to, to go bye bye as president. <laughs> Well, I, I will hold my tongue there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Senators Lindsey Graham and Cory Booker actually introduced a bill last week that – this, I hope it gets passed. I don't know if it can get passed uh, in this kind of Congress, but it would require that the DOJ uh, seeks the request of a federal judge before firing any special counsel, basically saying that if Trump gets pissed off at Mueller because Mueller is digging up – either stuff that shows that he's guilty or just stuff that he doesn't want him to see, like his tax returns. He, you know, right now, he can just fire him, which would be ridiculous. We've heard Lindsey Graham's thoughts on this in the past, but if this bill were to be passed, it would be up to a federal judge. And I think that it just make, it's just smart, whether it's Trump or a future president or, or anybody, anybody that may be coming up in the future. You shouldn't have the power to fire the person that's investigating you. You would think we would already have a law in the books for <laughs> this um, because it makes so much sense. But, you know, certainly we want to, Make sure there's no conflict of interest. And Mueller just keeps adding people to his team. I think it's up to 16 people now. I heard someone actually refer to – I don't know if it was in a news story or another podcast. They call them basically the Golden State Warriors because they're just the best of the best. They're getting former people in from the DOJ. These are legit uh, guys in his team. It's not just any Joe blow off the street. So is Mueller Steph Curry or KD? I'm Mueller's going to be Steph Curry, right? I mean, look at look at the contract that Steph has right now. Um, that's definitely Mueller. Um, yeah, and, the, the money would would speak to that. Yeah, and Trump's legal team—it's so very Trump, uh, in Trump-like fashion. They're they're looking into Mueller's team for potential conflicts of interest, uh, any way they can undermine them or discredit their investigation. Because if you can't, uh, if you know the facts on your side, you just have to look for dirt on the other side. Sure. Classic Trump. No different than anything else he's done. Divert from the real issues. Make us turn our heads while the, the bad stuff happens. Yeah, and I'm sure they'll be coming out with stuff whether it's true or not. You know, Mueller, something, 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 question mark. You know, just throwing things out there like he always does on Twitter without actually accusing them. Uh, it, it's become his M.O. lately. Well, from Mueller to Miller. Mother to Millie, yes. So this dude, Stephen Miller, Zach Braff has actually said that he wants to play him on Saturday Night Live. And I see they have kind of a similar look. I can see their cadence kind of being the same. Uh, Stephen Miller, if people don't know, he's a senior policy advisor to Donald Trump. Uh, and he took the podium last week to talk about the administration's new immigration policy. We've heard a lot about Trump's policy on illegal immigration. Now they're setting their sights on legal immigration. And in their words, they want it to be more of like a merit-based system to get in this country. So this legislation would eliminate uh, immigration preferences currently given to extended family members and adulterate of U.S. citizens seeking green cards. So if you had a family member coming in and you're a U.S. citizen, um, as of now, it's easier for them to get in. That would be going away. And they also want to cap the number of accepted refugees at 50,000. Um, we hear a lot about how uh, we shouldn't take in more immigrants because, you know, Americans need work. Americans are out of work. Um, and it's not a new idea to say that the jobs these people are taking are not the jobs Americans want. Now, the administration fight back and say that's disgusting to say that, but it's just the truth. Americans who are here who need work don't want to be picking peaches in a field all day under the hot grueling sun. It's just a fact of life. So under a merit-based system, the pilgrims seeking religious freedom and freedom of persecution, that where would that fall on the merit? Yeah. Anyway, to, 
to give some background on Miller, I find this Miller to be an interesting character within the Trump regime. All right. Miller is a 31 year old graduate of Duke University with a degree in political science who served formerly as the press secretary for Michelle Bachman and communications director for then Senator Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions. That about sums it he, up. <laughs> there you go. He is a hardliner when it comes to immigration, as we've seen. And in his time at Duke was an associate of white supremacist leader Richard Spencer. They were at Duke at the same time, leading similar causes. According to former Duke senior vice president John Burness, while at Duke, Miller, and I quote, seemed to assume that if you were in disagreement with him, there was something malevolent or stupid about your thinking, incredibly intolerant. So Stephen Miller has a history of being anti-immigrant, uh, of perhaps being white nationalist, of, of espousing these views, and now he has a, a podium from which to speak on behalf of the president of the United States, where some of these ideas could uh, have devastating effects for our way of life. Let's be honest. He just doesn't seem like a very nice guy. I saw a clip uh, played on John Oliver's show over the weekend, and he was running for student government, something that we both participated in in college. And he was screaming that he and others should be sick and tired of being told to clean up after themselves when they have janitors on staff to clean up for them. And it's like, oh, Probably what's... immigrants. Yeah, what a... yeah, of course. What a putz. So CNN's uh, Jim Acosta, who has been a very vocal critic of this administration, and by the way, his father uh, emigrated to America from Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, he had some issues with this policy, and especially that it aims at letting people in who speak English. Uh, he said, uh, what are we, only letting people in from England and Australia? And oh, my God, Miller almost had a meltdown. He went nuts and said, well, you think only people from Great Britain and Australia speak English? That's insulting to many of the hardworking immigrants who speak English all over the world. And Acosta just kind of accused the administration of engineering a racial and ethnic flow of people into this country. Because when you said merit-based system, they'll decide what those merits are. Uh, you come from a country that isn't Muslim-based, you can come in. You speak English, come in. You look like me, come on in. Um, Miller has said that these accusations are just outrageous, insulting, ignorant, just foolish things. Um, but I'm on Team Acosta here. Well, as an insult, to insult Acosta, he called the man cosmopolitan. <laughs> but according to the Washington Post this week, Miller himself lives in a $1 million condo in Washington, D.C.'s posh city center neighborhood. So, you know, pot calling kettle black, I'm, I'm not sure. It, it's just another way to call them a city folk, you know, where all the Trump supporters would be argued to be more rural. It's coastal elite in another term, I think. Stephen Miller grew up in Santa Monica, California, I believe, and then was educated at Duke University, both of which are on the coast. So I'm not sure who he's getting off insulting. But <laughs> nonetheless, you know, Acosta then cited you know, the famous poem we all know, the Statue of Liberty, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free. Miller, of course, then starts going on this giant tangent saying, we don't understand the history between the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with immigration. It's about American liberty lighting the world. Uh, and that poem, by the way, was not originally on there, so why should it matter? So the Statue of Liberty went up in 1886. That poem was added 17 years later. So that poem has been there for 114 years. So I'm not exactly getting buying his idea that, oh, you know, it's no big deal. It hasn't been there that long. Uh, just look at oh, – I did a Google image search. You should too. Just type in Statue of Liberty immigrants. You get a million pictures of immigrants on the boat coming into Ellis Island, seeing all the Statue of Liberty and everything. I mean it, it gives you chills. Well, as you noted, it may have not been there originally, but it was added – 
in the early 1900s, well within our period of massive immigration that included the parents of one Donald J. Trump. OK. And, you know, Stephen Miller perhaps has underestimated others within this country that are students of history because the poem, The New Colossus by Emma Lazarus, was written in 1883, prior to the construction of the Statue of Liberty, as a donation to an auction of art and literary works conducted by the Art Loan Fund Exhibition in aid of the Bartholdi Pedestal Fund for the Statue of Liberty. That poem has been there as a way to raise funds to install the, the Statue of Liberty and has always been the mainstay idea behind what that statue represents. Yeah, it's personal to me, just like it is for a lot of people. My great-grandfather came in through Ellis Island in the early 1900s, so, and I can only imagine what he saw when he saw the Statue of Liberty for the first time. So I want to read uh, something I found on a government webpage. It's from the National Park Services. They have actually a webpage on the Statue of Liberty, and you know what that page is called? The Immigrant Statue. Hmm, what a coincidence. And it says, between 1886 and 1924, almost 14 million immigrants entered the United States through New York. The Statue of Liberty was a reassuring sign that they had arrived in the land of their dreams. To these ancient newcomers, the, statue uplifted, the statue's uplifted torch did not suggest enlightenment as her creators intended, but rather welcome. Over time, liberty emerged as the mother of exiles, uh, a symbol of hope for generations of immigrants. President uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt's 1936 speech in honor of his 50th anniversary solidified the transformation of the statue into an icon of immigration. In the speech, he presented immigration as a central part of the nation's past and emphasized the newcomer's capacity for Americanization. So basically what that says is, sure, maybe it had to do with liberty lighting the world originally, but it doesn't matter what the original intent is. It became a symbol of immigration and how that how that makes our country so great. So for Stephen Miller to go in these insane rants, it, it just it's so stupid. I mean, there's no other word for it other than stupid. It literally stands next to Ellis Island, the nexus of our immigration of the late 19th century, early 20th century. It sure as hell wasn't a symbol telling them to get lost. Yeah, I mean, I knew it as a kid. I remember watching five old. The American tale, Five Will Comes American. I think they're the mouse, the mice are on the ship and they see it as they come in. So even as a young child, I knew it was a thing. So, you know, he's stretching. Um, but as we know, he was a debate nerd back in college. So he'll he'll debate anything if it helps his buddy. The boss. By the way, Stephen Miller is being considered to take over for the Mooch, Scaramucci as communications director. Yeah. If that's the way he's going to be communicating, it's going to be – is it sad that there's a perverse part of me that wants to get that job because it just gives me something else to go crazy about? I mean, we're gluttons for punishment, but we we love it. And see how long he lasts. Yeah. And after that, after this all went down, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was on Fox News earlier day saying, you know, Miller put Acosta in his place. Yeah, yeah, he put him in his place. The only people who think Miller put Acosta in his place are people that want to see that. Anybody else just saw Acosta – standing up for himself and making a reasonable discussion while well, Miller just went nuts. We've been hitting a lot on the right. So let's go over to the left here and and see some infighting going on. So last week an article came out. I got a lot of traction basically putting the Democratic Party back into a civil war between the center and the left, you know, kind of a Hillary and Bernie 2.0. Um, the article specifically named Senators Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, uh, former Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick, as Democrats being groomed by the centrist establishment to run for office. By the way, they're all black, which is interesting that they chose those three. 
according to the article, some of the problems they had was Harris, even though she is black, uh, she was a prosecutor, and Black Lives Matters is more associated with the far left, and they are wary of anybody who has to do with law enforcement. Uh, Booker has ties to Wall Street. Patrick actually worked for Bain Capital, which we heard a lot about in the 2012 presidential election. And we even saw it uh, hey, yeah, exactly. Mitt Romney is in Bay Capital, we're hand in hand. And then Patrick, who I think is good friends with President Obama, went and worked there. We saw it a few months ago with the election for DNC chair when we had Tom Perez, who was elected. And he was the choice of the center. And he beat out Keith Ellison, who was more of the choice of the far left. Um, so I think we, we can forget the individual candidates. Kevin, in your mind, what has to happen for the party to unify? Well, the DNC needs a gut check here and to come together and rallying behind which of their ideals matters the most. You know, the left has some great ideas and, and I tend to lean more to the left myself, but I also understand that perhaps some of those ideas are too pie in the sky for the more moderate version of America. And in order to get elected, we have to come back towards the middle. We have to find bipartisanship, some common ground. And when we go to the extremes, whether it's the right or the left, that isn't necessarily good uh, or, or for what is best for this country. Yeah, and you can just listen to this podcast. You mentioned you tend to lean more far left. I'm more center, center left. So you know, if we can make it happen on this podcast, why can't the party do it? Basically, they're just playing into the hands of the right and Donald Trump. If you sit there and you fight with each other, kind of like we saw in the last presidential election, and the right can just kind of coalesce around the president, although that may not be the case, um, as we've been hearing. But if that were to happen, I mean, they'll just sit there and laugh at, at this going on. Um I understand wanting to share different ideas and question the the background or the, or the viability of candidates. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to know why Patrick worked for Bain Capital, if you're afraid that Cory Booker has too many ties to Wall Street, that's fine. I mean, that's what we should be doing with our candidates. We should be looking into their past and making sure they're the right fit. But just to write them off because they're too far to the center, too far to the left, I think that's ridiculous. I think uh, you have to come together at some point, though, when it comes to the, the candidate that is chosen, you may not like it, it may not be your number one pick, but just look at the other side, you know? Well, and the Democrats could take a page out of the Republican playbook, which no one rallies around the party like the Republicans. And the, the Democrats mm. have always splintered off into so many different directions. Republicans have always rallied behind their ideals. And as we saw in 2016's election, they were successful. And, you know, when they don't rally around each other, they're damn good at what they do. Look at the Tea Party. The Tea Party was organized. Look at the Tea Party. Look at, like, Occupy Wall Street or this stuff. I mean, it's night and day. Um, you may love or you may hate the, the Tea Party, but they had their act together, and they got people elected, and they were able to put pressure on their party to, to move to some of their ideas. Um, those, those same things can't be said about other groups within the Democratic Party. It just becomes chaos and a mess. And we'll have to wait and see. The election is still, what, three and a half long years away. Um, but, you know, we're only like a year away, year and a half away from from the candidates actually starting to run and hearing stuff. It'll be a nice long season. And, you know, we never know what to expect because a story also came out over the weekend. Uh, there might be a, a shadow campaign going, whether it's whether it's Pence, um, whether it's uh, Ben Sass, whether it's what's what's the governor in Ohio? I can never I can't remember his name at the moment. John Kasich. John Kasich. Yeah, my mind just. Couldn't. These are all people that were named, and Pence is like, no, no, I'm not doing that. But 
I think people see the writing on the wall in that, you know, Trump may not be going anywhere. We have to we have to come down and understand that. But he might be going somewhere. And if he's going somewhere or he has a has a approval rating of like twenty five percent or something crazy like that, the Republicans are gonna think about maybe we don't uh maybe we run somebody against him or maybe we don't elect him again. Well, one place Donald Trump is not going is on vacation. No, Donald Trump would never go on vacation, even though he goes on vacation. Uh, if that makes no sense, it's because it doesn't make any sense. Um, it was reported that Trump is going on a 17-day vacation, which really pissed him off. Um, you know, sure, he's going to be golfing a lot. He's going to be crashing weddings and watching a lot of cable news and tweeting out about it. But that's not a vacation. Well, honestly, that's just an average it's day not, in the White this House. Is, this is the first yeah. six months in the White House. <laughs> um, according to Trump, you know, the White House, or as he calls it, a dump. You know, it's I mean, it's a dump. I've seen it. it had some scheduled renovation that he took off and went to Jersey, went to his golf clubs, uh, and he, of course, started another Twitter uh, tirade early Monday morning because when you're not in the White House, when you're at one of your golf resorts and it's you know seven o'clock in the morning on a Monday on the East Coast, what would you like to do? Go on Twitter and go nuts. Well, we all can point back to the 2016 presidential campaign in which Donald Trump's uh, Donald Trump, and I quote, said, I will not be a president who takes time off during my campaign. <laughs> However, according to Newsweek's Harriet Sinclair, uh, the Trump has spent 20 million dollars during his first 80 days on trips to Mar-a-Lago alone, which is almost more than Obama's entire eight years in office. So, you know, fact from fiction. You know, we have to get rid of the transgenders in the military because it would just cost too much money for certain things, even though he has no problem spending money on planes flying over the country to play golf. Um, so Trump was apparently really pissed off on that story of the shadow campaigns uh, that was run by the by the failing New York Times. Uh, so, of course, he came out and said, you know, they make every wrong prediction, and including his big win. Uh, they're totally inept, which you can call them the failing New York Times and call them idiots or call the Washington Post, the Amazon Washington Post as much as you want. But these are institutions. These are things people trust. Uh, well, some people trust, unfortunately. Um, it, it's just basically him whining. I would reckon that more people trust the Washington Post and the New York Times in this country than trust the president. However, it's that base. It's that the people, darn base. It's the people that he gets so excited to see and he cites that they love me in these states. Yeah, you go to West Virginia, you're going to get a big you know, uh, applause, a big group of people freaking out over you. Uh, why don't you go to New York City or to, to Boston or L.A. or any of these big cities or these states that didn't vote for you because they are part of America too? Uh, you'll see what people really think. Well, maybe they'll keep those undesirables out. Who knows? But uh, it's he lives – it's again, it's the emperor's new clothes. He lives in a bubble. He only hears what he wants to hear. Someone sent me a, an article today that he gets two um, folders of briefings every single day with news stories that are positive about him. So you know they, they send him, here, look, look everybody loves you because they're showing him only the good stuff, and I'm sure it's from places like Breitbart and Fox News. Full of pictures. Yeah. You know, and Connecticut is in charts. Uh, Connecticut has been in the news recently related to Trump and his tweets uh, because he's turned his sights on to Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal, former attorney general here. Um, he had just been on CNN earlier this week talking about the Russia scandal. And, you know, he whatever Trump sees on I can't believe he's watching CNN, by the way. I thought he'd be watching Fox News. But whatever he sees on TV, he has to comment on. So he started tweeting out talking about Blumenthal uh, and his discussion on this Russian hoax when he's a liar about his Vietnam. Vietnam service, 
Um, he actually ended up saying, never in U.S. history has anyone lied or defrauded voters like Blumenthal, which you know, that's just not true. Um, he told stories about his Vietnam battles and conquests, how brave he was, and it was all a lie. He cried like a big baby and begged for forgiveness like a child and now judges collusion. Uh, he, Blumenthal tweeted back saying, you know, bullying doesn't work. It hasn't worked before on me. It won't work again. No one's above the law. This all stems from a couple years ago. Uh, Blumenthal served in the Marines but stateside during Vietnam uh, in 2010. He said he gives vague statements like uh, we have learned something important since the since the days that I served in Vietnam, which technically is true. Um, he also said I served during the Vietnam area. I remember the taunts, the insults, sometimes even the physical abuse. Again, it's true, but it seems to imply that he was actually in the country of Vietnam itself. Now, Kevin, I know this is a very personal thing to you because your father served in Vietnam. What are your thoughts going back to what Blumenthal said back in the day? And what are your thoughts on what Trump is saying now? Well, as you said, uh, my father is a Marine Corps veteran of the Vietnam War, and I remember having several conversations with him on the subject when this happened, being in Connecticut and having this be part of our senatorial election. And obviously, there's going to be those who view it negatively, who view it as somebody who's trying to capitalize on a situation that, you know, and take advantage of something that he was not a part of, while equally, the other half says, you know, it, it was a... It was an accident. It was a misspoken statement. He even corrected himself uh, by saying Vietnam era instead of serving in Vietnam. Nobody really, or I shouldn't say nobody, but most people, certainly by the election results, didn't seem to take that as uh, a, meant to be an insult to people who actually did serve in Vietnam. If anything, the topic of conversation was to try to help those and assist those who had suffered the ill effects of being in the Vietnam War. So I would say, and certainly the election results would speak to this as well, that it is nothing compared to the lies and the misstatements and the half-truths that the president has told. And let's be honest here. Um, yeah, Blumenthal had a couple of deferments. He ended up serving stateside. Trump obtained four student deferments during Vietnam and then a medical deferment for heel spurs. Like, he wasn't going there. He was the son of a rich guy, of course. He, when you hear people say, you know, the rich kids aren't going, you know, that's pretty much what they're talking about is Trump. And, you know, I, I'm not one to kiss Blumenthal's, but I almost actually ran uh, or worked in a campaign against him for his first senatorial run. Um, I ended up not taking the job because they didn't want to pay me very much money and it turned to be a very good decision because it would have been very, very ugly on my end. But, uh, However, yeah. Blumenthal did defeat current Trump appointee yes. uh, as administrator of the Small Business Administration, one Linda McMahon. And by the way, that would not have been the person I would have worked for. I want to make that clear. <laughs> However, Jesse has always been a giant WWE fan. I, I am. Um, you know, it'll always be WWF to me. Um, Hulk Hogan, no matter what personal issues he has, he will always be my favorite wrestler. He may be a scumbag in real life, but in the squared circle, I'm a total fan of the Hulkster. But I digress. Um, some scary news came out uh, in the last day or so. The Washington Post has reported that the North that North Korea has successfully produced a mini nuke that can fit on their missile. This is obviously not good. Uh, comes days after the Nas uh, the United Nations Security Council passed a resolution imposing new sanctions on Korea for its for things like this missile testing and uh, violations of the uh, of UN resolutions. So what do you think Trump's uh, response was from not a vacation? I'm sure it was very calm and collected. No. He said that North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen now. 
I don't know if you want to poke the bear on this one. Um, yeah, who knows what their capabilities are, but Kim Jong-un is nuts. He makes Trump look sane, which is saying something. Um, and who knows what he'll do. I mean, there are more diplomatic ways to go about doing this, in my opinion. Right. You know, this would harken back to the fall of 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis and, and when we came close to nuking the Soviets and vice versa. However, the dangerously uh, scary thing here is that we're not dealing with Kennedy and Khrushchev, two men mm -hmm. who, while they, you know, acted with passion, also, you know, kept their level head and their wits about them. We're dealing with two egomaniacal uh, unstable human beings at the helm, at the at the button. Yeah, and it's that, that you're being kind the way you're saying that. It's even worse than that, I think. Um, it's you, with someone like Kim Jong Un who feeds family members to dogs while they're still alive because they didn't say God bless you. Um, you think he's not gonna blow blow away Hawaii or, or Los Angeles or something just because you know they pissed him off or he didn't like it? No. And then Trump's response, you know, Trump would be like, fine, blow up the entire region, but sir, uh, they'll screw South Korea, China, or China and Japan. Oh, who cares? And just do it. And then it's the end of the world. Um, yeah, it's a little hyper hyperbolic, but it's true. It's uh, it, it, these things get out of out of control very quickly. These are the things that cause us to lose sleep at night. Mm -hmm. It's worth noting, by the way, that um, after this stuff came out, uh, Trump retweeted a tweet from Fox and Friends that said, you know, U.S. spy satellites detect North Korea moving anti-ship cruise missiles to patrol boat and had a, a link to it. Um, this story uh, had a lot of anonymous sources in it. Um, that that were from things like the Justice Department. Now, Trump has said he hates leaks, and he hates anonymous sources, and that it's fake news when there are anonymous sources, but yet he goes ahead and supports it here because it pushes his agenda. All right. When it's for me, yippee! Yeah, it's, it's, it's only bad when someone else does it. That's just the Trump mantra as well. Um, at least onto something funnier than nuclear war and all that devastation. Um my boy Orrin Hatch, who I used to the work right with. The right-winging, song-singing senator from the state of Utah. Yeah, the state that hosted the 2002 Winter Olympic Games, Go America, that was the name of my two, of my was 2003-2004 paper in college. And what was yours again? Uh, something about Trent Lott, about being a male cheerleader. I can't remember. Oh, what uh, a difference 40 years <laughs> makes. So I worked with Orrin Hatch a little bit on uh, the Senate Finance Committee when I was there. I saw him in the in the hallway once, and I couldn't see who he was because I'm blind, and I ended up staring at him, and I think I freaked him out as I you know, came closer and realized I was staring at a senator. It just happens, but um, he said that you know the GOP is done with health care debate. Uh, they're moving on to tax reform. You know, we, we're, we've done all we can, um, and the exact quote he put out was, as far as I'm concerned, they shot their wad on health care, and that's the way it is. I'm sick of it. Now, people started to freak out online um, over the terminology, shooting <laughs> shooting wads, um, and, you know, perhaps there are some uh, sexual connotations to that. So Trump uh, – Trump. So Hatch had to come back out and, and tweet that uh, it has something to do with the Civil War, and anybody who knows anything about the Civil War and shooting wads knows what I'm talking about. So what it actually refers to, Jesse, is the cloth, felt, or cardboard disc that retains the powder uh, and shot in position in the charging of a gun. And in context, it means to do all one can do. I, I think of something else. Um, 
I, I won't go into it any further. It's our juvenile minds. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter how old I get. My my brain. I, the other day, someone said, "If you do do that," and I laughed and said, "Do do." I mean, that's just the way my mind. I might be running for town council. I may be you know have an adult job, but if I hear "do do," you know, I laugh. What, what can I say? Um, he's not the only person that says they're pretty much done with health care. McConnell uh, seemed to indicate they were done, too. He said, you know, we don't dwell on situations uh, where we come up a little bit short. They want to move on to tax reform. Uh, the only problem with that is that they wanted the health care cuts to help pay for some of the tax cuts. Um, again, all we've seen, we, I mean, we talked about it, God, months ago at this point, was a single page of like 20 bullet points. It's We'll see when that happens, but I'm not holding my breath on it happening anytime soon. No, because you'll be out of breath. Yeah. Before we go any further, I want to let one of our fellow podcasts at the Ace Podcast Network tell you a little bit about their show. Take it away, guys. Kelly, get down like this. This is the Coming Clean Podcast. Coming get down like that. With I'm Sam and Marty. Marty. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. If you're looking for a dose of mid-2000s nostalgia, check out the Coming Clean Podcast where we talk about iconic shows like MTV's Laguna Beach and The Hills. Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Left coast, best coast, did I stutter? West coast, that's my bread and butter. Rat fam, hot damn on the come Everybody be like, what up, what up, what up? She looks like As we get towards the end of the show, I want to talk a little bit about Laura Trump's real news. So Laura Trump, uh, if you're not aware, is the wife of Eric Trump, who... Uh, Saturday Live would have us believe is the doofus of the Trump brothers, although recent events have maybe had us rethink that a little yeah, bit. maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Or maybe they both are. Who knows? Um, so she decided to get on the family business because why not? The family brand, the Trump brand is fake news, all that kind of stuff. And uh, what else is she doing these days? So she's been hosting a series of videos on Facebook, which she calls Real News. Want to know what President Trump did this week? Watch here for the real news. Now, she doesn't talk about things like Mueller's investigation kicking up or like the Mooch leaving or Priebus leaving or any of this stuff. She talks about you know things that make the Trump administration look good that really aren't of much importance. It's basically state-run media that's run by his re-election campaign hosted by his daughter-in-law. I can't foresee this really taking off, but if his voters love it, they may make it huge. Just like with lots of other things I said, we're never going to take off. Should we expect anything less? I mean, you and I just spoke earlier today about this. Why are we still surprised by anything that comes out of the Trump clan? I don't know. It it's it upsets me that I'm still surprised. It actually upsets me when I see Trump tweets and I just ignore them because they don't seem like no big deal anymore. Um, it's it's like when you have a drug habit. I think that when you take take it for a long enough time, you get a tolerance to it, and then you need a bigger high to uh, to feel it again. It's what's happening with Trump is that when he puts out these these thousand tweets on Richard Blumenthal, I'm like, all right, you know, I've seen this before. Um, but what's he going to tweet out next? The, hey, we're, everybody, we're going to war with North North Korea. Well, you know, he hasn't told any of his generals or admirals this. I mean, that's again, that sounds hyperbolic, but that's not out of the realm of possibility. Sad but true. Yeah. All right, Kevin, what do you got for Kevin's Corner? Well, Jesse, this week, White House policy advisor Stephen Miller thrust the purpose and meaning of the Statue of Liberty to center stage in the battle over immigration. While students of history do know that the statue was a gift from France and was intended as a symbol of liberty enlightening the world, it came during an important period in our American experience when our entire demographic landscape was seismically shifting. 
The statue quickly became known not only for its symbolism of liberty, but also of those entering our shores and harbors seeking the freedom and democracy, the true American way that the statue represents. While the Emma Lazarus poem may have been an addition 17 years after the statue first was erected, we are foolish to believe it represents anything other than all the good that immigration has done for this beautiful country. Few among us can trace our ancestry to someone other than an immigrant. For 241 years, through peace and war, crisis and calm, threats and adoration, this nation has grown and prospered, driven by the power of immigrants. Do we really want to turn our backs on them now? I couldn't agree more, Kevin. And by the way, based on our previous discussion, I have to comment that you did say erected. <laughs> Anyways, guys, thanks so much for coming and listening to us today. Uh, it's always wonderful to hear you. Remember to go to our website at www.grabthembythepod.com for all of our links to social media and how to listen to our podcast. Um, although you're listening to our podcast now, so I think you've got it pretty much figured out. Uh, and until next time, it's been great. See you then, Kev. Later. Later.